The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com and you'll see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday, so if you missed that and you'd like to catch that, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and then at that time, he will be live in that little area right there, uh, so don't miss that. And then on the right side of the page is where we are, click on the play button blow it up whatever device you got, and then look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, join us in Rumble on the chat there, and uh, we are streaming live to Rumble at sonsoflibertyradiolive.com. 
Also, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there, dlive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. Number of Facebook pages that got my name on it. And uh, then we've got uh, Real Tim Brown at twitch.tv. And then also, finally, on Twitter, for whatever that's worth, uh, The Real Tim Brow 2. The Real Tim Brow 2, leave off the end, add the two there, and you're good to go. Uh, while you're over at sonsoflibertymedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, click on that and uh, fill it out. You get one of those a, a day. It comes between seven and eight at night in your in your email inbox. And if you're not, if you sign up for it, and you're not getting it. Check your spam mail. They do censor a lot of our stuff. They censor my personal email. It's really weird. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> do that. And if you're interested in our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com and you'll see what's going on with the Sons of Liberty. That goes out once a week on Saturdays. So if you get signed up today, then you should get it tomorrow. And uh, and that's exclusive content for that. Um, and then finally, well, let me make mention, I haven't made mention in a while. Our store is available off of sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you want to, you know, get a gift for somebody or something for yourself, there's books, there's coffee mugs and t-shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff in there. So if you're interested in that, um, go to the store there at Sons of Liberty. Good conversation starters, that's for sure. Uh, and pick something up there. Also, if you want to keep us out there, you'd like a way to help us, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that, make a one-time donation or partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. Again, uh, we really do appreciate you guys very, very much for uh, supporting us and keeping us out there doing the things that we're doing. Um, today, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to start this one off at, you know, we, we have so much serious stuff and, and, and now's the time to be serious. I'm not saying we shouldn't be serious, but there's also times where we have to let up from that just a little bit so that we can regather ourselves. Right. And the Bible talks about laughter is good medicine. It's, you know, it's a good thing. And um, if you can't see the uniparty mindset, and that's what it is, this is what you're seeing going on with this whole thing of um, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. That's the uniparty, in effect, right down the middle, poop, right down the middle. And um, this guy, McCarthy, he's not a good guy. He's already demonstrated. He's like Paul Ryan. And I can't tell you how I tried to warn people in 2011 and 12 about Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney. I had death threats. I had death threats over that because I showed the people they're not who they're telling. Paul Ryan doesn't know numbers. He's a snake. He knows how to sell you out and get the most for himself and for those he's selling you out to. And uh, McCarthy's the same way. Same kind of guy. And um, so, you know, the guys had 11 votes. Would you not be embarrassed if you had been in the House, you'd been the majority leader over there or the minority leader for some years, and now you're put up for House Speaker and you had 11 votes and you can't get the votes from your own people, the people who say, <laughs> just, uh, it's incredible. Anyway, there was this little deal, and uh, ever since these guys with bad lip reading came out, uh, I have, if I see any of that stuff, I just get, I get, a good belly laugh from it. I really do. And my kids did too. I think they came out around 2012 or so, or at least that was when they became popular. They may have been around before, but they had all the politicians they would do and some of those silly things they'd say, this is one of them this week. <coughs> and I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, he picked the perfect person to do this with. This is uh, AOC and uh, Matt Gates, And just... <laughs> 
<laughs> Sometimes you do have to laugh at just how terrible things are. You really do. And uh, here's what he did. It's only a few seconds. You guys who are on um, Red State Talk Radio, you're not going to see it. If you want to jump over to the platforms, you can. The video platforms see it. But uh, it'll be in the archive, if not. But listen to how he puts this together. It's hilarious. I've heard that the floor asked for shrubs to be put in the common areas. Yeah, you're no, right. We will not let this slide because, like, when obviously you do that, we'd you know put in some rocks too. Oh, interesting. All rocks are my friends. I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know who comes up with this stuff and how they do it, uh, but I just I find it hilarious. And there's there's more. I put one on, another one on my Facebook page uh, with her and this other guy. I forget the the other representative's name. Anyway, uh, he sound they make him sound like he's just a, a senile elderly man that's what they make him sound like. anyway yeah it sounds about right for her they, they picked the perfect person to do something like that with they they certainly did this one <clears throat> is a short one as well uh before we get into our topic today this is from 2017 this is something uh, that, that came across yesterday uh, some of you may have seen it some of you may not have this is bill gates and warren buffett and i want you to listen to what they're talking about and what's going to happen? And I know what people say. Well, they're just thinking and theorizing down the road about this, that, and the other. And I have to ask, I, I really have to ask, when have we seen this kind of stuff before? Except in the 20th century and the 21st century. Uh, so here is Gates and Buffett. If you can stomach it, here they are. Uh, it's not just nuclear. Wow, he's really low. Uh, the... Uh, bioterrorism piece is also quite daunting. Um, and What's the bioterrorism piece? Well, in an extreme case, somebody would reconstruct, say, a smallpox virus and have somebody spread. And uh, it would not only kill millions, it could potentially kill billions. And there was on the op-ed pe uh, piece in the New York Times within the last about two years. I checked with Bill because I don't understand this stuff well enough. And he said, yeah, it makes sense that in terms of being feasible. And it, it, it was basically about reconstituting smallpox. I mean, uh, there are people in the world, there may be organizations, probably are organizations, that would love the idea of creating a smallpox yeah, epidemic. And how do you prevent them from doing that? Uh, well, you, you want to have... Uh, you want to get the patent on it so you can do it. Catch it as soon as you can. You want to have medical uh, tools where you can create a vaccine and protect people. Uh, science is working on the defense part of this. At the same time, it's it's making the offense uh, slightly easier. So if we're vigilant, there's a lot of steps we can take to make the risk lower. Just like uh, minimizing access to fissile materials meaningfully reduces the chance of, of uh, a nuclear weapon. <laughs> reduces the chance of a, uh, uh, a nuclear weapon. And you can see his eyes. He's just a shifty-eyed-looking guy. I mean, this is the guy telling you he's got the solution for all sicknesses and diseases, but he can't. he could never stop that blue screen of death in his operating system. You want to touch you if you can't trust him with something that that doesn't endanger your life. <laughs> do you want to trust him with something you're going to put into your body? These people are not, um, you know, 
thinking up things that could happen. They are thinking of options. These are options for them of how they can sell their wares. Okay? That's what this is all about. This is what Event 201 was about. This is what the thing they had just a couple of a month or two ago, whenever it was, uh, back, was it back in November, October, whenever it was. We, we, did a, we did an article on it. These are options for these guys. Okay? All right, so <clears throat> today, probably maybe a little more history in, I guess, theology than anything else. So just letting you know up front. Set, what is setting your feet towards Rome? What is that? Before I get into that, let me read a passage of Scripture. It's somewhat lengthy, but I want to read this to kind of set things up. Because I know there are people who say, oh, you know, this is the word, of, you're, you're going to reference the word of man. Yeah, I'm going to reference the word of man, which men sought to base upon the scriptures, okay? So I want you to understand some of the things, about it, some of them are what men wrote. There's no question about that. But they wrote it based upon the scriptures, okay? This is from Ephesians chapter 4. And here's what we read. This is the entire context. I want you to get the context of what's going on here. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul writing, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. What is he saying? He's saying, you say you're a Christian. You're in the covenant community here. You need to walk worthy of the calling the Lord has placed upon your life. You don't need to walk like the world walks. You need to walk as Jesus walked, as, as John tells us in 1 John, we follow in his footsteps. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, <clears throat> excuse me, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he gives gifts to men. And how do those gifts come? Well, he tells us in 1 Corinthians, they come by his spirit. The same spirit, different gifts. Okay. So your gift is not my gift and my gift's not your gifts, but we do have the gift of the same spirit. And he gives them to us to honor and to glorify God with these, with these gifts. But specifically, these gifts he lists here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, why are they given? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So one, the gifts are given for the saints. Two, so that the saints can engage in the work of ministry. And three, so that the saints can edify the rest of the body with their gifts. Okay? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. So there should be a place where we as believers are moving more and more to where we believe the same things and we're doing 
the same things. And when I say doing the same things, I'm saying we're looking to follow Christ. Now, obviously, our gifts are going to change how that looks in each person, but we're doing those things that we might glorify Christ. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we are being conformed to the image of Christ. So if you're not being conformed to the image of Christ, if you're not becoming more like Christ every day, then you may want to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because that is the work of God, is to make you like Christ. That is his work, not ours. That is his work. Now, do we work it out ourselves? Yeah. Do we will and want to do those things? Yep. Philippians tells us, but that God is the one working in us both to will, that's the want to, the desire, and to do his good pleasure. So we can give glory to God even for what we desire and even for what we do if it's according to his will. We can give glory to God for that because he's the one working in it, working in us to do those things. He then goes on and he says this, why is, why is all these things happening? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is not a four-letter word. It's a biblical word. It just simply means teaching. And we're to have sound doctrine. Okay? Sound doctrine and sound practice of that doctrine. It's not just what you believe. It's what you're doing with that belief. So, we're not to be carried away with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Don't walk like the world in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are we are members of one another. Be ye not be ye angry and sin not. That's the, the righteous kind of anger. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have a have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace into the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you.
So here's, the, here's what Paul writes in this entire passage. You see what the context is. First, he starts off with the work of Christ and what Christ did. <clears throat> he ascended, but before he ascended, he descended, right? He went into the heart of the earth, and we read this in the scriptures where he went down and he preached. Who is he preaching to? Well, I tend to think that he's preaching uh, both to those who were uh, in the, the grave, uh, those who had gone before, and saying there's victory, and he takes them out. He takes them out of the place that they're in, and he takes them to, as he spoke to the thief that day, paradise. And he also, I believe, preached to those wicked angels who had been secured. They're, they're fastened in chains of darkness, and he's proclaimed victory over them. You can read that in the book of Colossians. He's, he's preached that victory over them as well. And as a result of his work, what does he do? He's able to give gifts. And how does he give gifts? It's the same spirit. I made mention of that before. You can read that in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. How does he do that? Well, he told his disciples, he said, it's necessary that I go to the Father, for if I don't go to the Father, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And he says he's the same kind of essence that I am. He is God himself. He will come and he'll not only be with you, he'll be in you. That's the promise of Christ. So why, why do I lead up with this? Because there are teachers that we have all learned from in the body of Christ. If, if we are a true believer, we have learned from them. Be they dead, a hundred years, a thousand years, or whatever the case may be, we've learned from them. How do we learn from them? Because they're gifts from God too. They had gifts that were used, okay? Now, with that said, I want to take a piece of history, uh, something called <clears throat> the Remonstrance. And I'll have, some, I'll have some links here. You'll have to do your own reading and, and things of that nature. But this is real history. Um, and the Remonstrance dealt with five different things or five different points. And I hope to clear up some, some issues. If you've never heard of these things, don't worry. Uh, I'm not trying to scare you off with things, but it is history. It's real history. It's real Christian history that we have. And um, so I, I want you to, to be aware of what's going on. So there was, <clears throat> there was something that was called the Synod of Dort. And the Synod of Dort came together to meet some challenges to what uh, the church was teaching, the Reformed Church. And I'm talking about, the, when I say the Reformed Church, I'm talking about the church that broke away from Rome. The gospel that was rediscovered. Uh, by Luther, by Calvin, um, and, and they weren't the first ones. They, Luther says so. You know, there were Yun Hus, and there were uh, the, the Waldenses, there was the Huguenots, there was all these people that came before them who held to the true gospel. It's not like the gospel was lost, but in large measure it was darkened by the false gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. And just so we're clear, when <clears throat> Luther nailed his 95 Thesis, to the Wittenberg church door, when he put that up, none of that was about the things that, that will be discussed in this show or that were discussed at the center of the door. He was mainly attacking the issue of indulgences that somehow you, that God was so corrupt that he was like a mob boss that you could buy off to get out of hell or get out of purgatory or get your loved ones out of there. You could climb steps, you could make pilgrimages, you could pay money, you can 
you know, say all the Hail Mary, you can do all this stuff, and somehow that can appease God. And what do we know the only thing that appeases God is? Is his son. The one in whom he is well pleased. Listen to him. And Jesus' final words were to tell us die. It's paid in full. It's done. It's over. The debt is has been paid. The debt of what? The debt of sin. The ones for whom he died. So the Synod of Dort went to examine some things, and uh, it was called the Remonstrance. Now, the Remonstrance, uh, the idea is that of a protest. There was a protest, and uh, this leads to two different things. For those of you who don't know, um, one were the, the students or those taught by a guy by the name of Jacob Arminius. Now, Arminius lived uh, a long life of 49 years, from 1560 to 1609. And the the, the idea was, is he was teaching uh, things from the scriptures that were distorted. And it put the emphasis upon man. Now, I believe the, that what the scriptures give us is they give us both sides of what's going on. But the work that works in a heart of man to bring him to Christ is the work of God. It is not the work of man. Man is simply responding to what the work of God gives. For instance, if I go over <clears throat> over here in my dining room, and it's dark in here, and I throw the switch... What happens? Well, there's a little connection there. Now, there's always electricity going to that switch, but the switch is is open like this. And so when I throw the switch, it connects like that, and it sends the electricity through, and the light comes on. Now, if the light could talk with the light, say, I'm just giving my own light. I did it all on my own. No, that's not the way it works. There was power there already in the switch. And if you want to think of the switch and the lines I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but if you want to think of the switch and the lines as like the Christ and the Spirit of God, you can think of it that way. When Christ is preached and the effectual call goes out, when I say effectual call, I mean it goes out to do what what it's intended to do, and that is to save souls. Then the switch is closed, the electricity goes, and the light bulb comes on. Does that make sense, everybody? You get that? That's what these guys were against that. They were saying the light bulb is somehow producing its own light in order to glorify God. And you'll see some of that in the article. So I'm going to read these things. And just so that you're understanding, I cannot uh, deal with uh, people who misrepresent what I believe here in order to uh, take and make a straw man and beat it up. And I just kind of sit back and go, yeah, I'm against that too. <laughs> You're not arguing against me. And I've only heard, I think, one man, maybe two, who actually understands what the Senate of Dar- uh, Dort was codifying in their their response to the remonstrance. And that guy rejected it. He gave, He actually presented exactly what the reformers would have held, and yet he rejected it. That's a scary thought for me. That's a really scary thought for me. Anyway, this is, these are the articles that the followers of Jacob Arminius put forward 
to the Dutch church here and <clears throat> the Reformed church there that eventually took it up in the Synod of Dort. And you'll see why, if any of you guys have heard of the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, I'd, ref I'd much rather refer to them as the doctrines of grace because they're the doctrines of God. They're not the doctrines of Calvin. And to tell you the truth, I learned these doctrines before I even knew there was Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. I was seeing them in Scripture. I just didn't know how they fit together. Okay? So here's the articles. And again, we're, we're going to do history. We're going to do the theology this morning. And I hope it's beneficial to you. I really do. If you got any questions, go ahead and, you know, hit the contact button on Sons of Liberty. I'll try to answer. Uh, um, and if I don't have an answer, I'll, I'll find an answer for you, okay? Uh, but these things are, uh, are, are historical and they are biblical, except for what I'm fixing to read to you now. Now, it's gonna, some of you, it, some of this may sound good, but bear with me. I'm going to read you the five points of the remonstrance. They're, they're, they're short little points, but it'll take me some time to go through them. So just bear with me. If we have to go over, we'll go over. Okay. This is article one, <clears throat> and this is what they put in. And let me see if I can blow this up for you guys who are watching this. This is article one, and this is what they said. That God, by an eternal and unchangeable purpose in Jesus Christ, his son, before the foundation of the world, hath determined out of the fallen sinful race of men to save in Christ for Christ's sake and through Christ those who, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, shall believe on this, his son Jesus, and shall preserve in this faith and obedience of faith through this grace even to the end. And on the other hand, to lead the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath and to condemn them as alienate from Christ, according to the word of the gospel in John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him, and according to other passages of Scripture also. <clears throat> Article 2, <clears throat> excuse me, that agreeably thereunto Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died for all men and for every man, so that he is obtained for them all by his death on the cross, redemption and the forgiveness of sins, yet that no one actually enjoys this forgiveness of sins except the believer, according to the word of the gospel of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in the first epistle of 1 John 2.2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Article 3, the man has not saving grace of himself, nor the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can of and by himself neither think will nor do anything that is truly good, such as saving faith eminently is, but that it is needful that he be born again of God in Christ through his Holy Spirit and renewed in understanding, inclination, or will, and all his powers in order that he might rightly understand, think, will, and effect what is truly good according to the word of Christ. John fifteen five. without me, ye can do nothing. Article 4. That this grace of God is the beginning, continuance, and accomplishment of all good, even to this extent that the regenerate man himself, without prevenient or assisting, awakening, following, and cooperative grace can need cooperative grace. Okay. Notice some of these things that are in here. Now, they may sound good to you until we bring them to the light of Scripture of what Scripture actually says. Okay. And we're going to do that in just a little bit. Um, where was I at? 
uh, convenient grace, wasn't it? Cooperative grace. Can neither think, nor will, nor do good, nor withstand any temptations to evil, so that all good deeds or, or movements that can be conceived must be ascribed to the grace of God in Christ, but respects the mode of the operation of this grace. It is not irresistible. Mm. Mm. It is not irresistible. The, the grace of God is not irresistible. Inasmuch as it is written concerning many that they have resisted the Holy Ghost. There's, there's different things, different things there. We're going to touch on a little bit of that in a bit. Acts chapter 7 and elsewhere in many places. Article 5, this is the final one of the remonstrance, that those who are incorporated into Christ by true faith and have their, thereby become partakers of his life-giving spirit have thereby full power to strive against Satan, sin, and the world, and their own flesh, and to win the victory, it being well understood <clears throat> that it is ever through the assisting grace of the Holy Ghost, and that Jesus Christ assists, assists them through his Spirit in all temptations, extends to them his hand, and if only they are ready for the conflict and desire his help, are they inactive, are they are, and are not inactive, keeps them from falling so that they, by no craft or power of Satan, can be misled nor plucked out of Christ's hand according to the word of God. John ten twenty eight. neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But whether they are capable through negligence of forsaking again the first beginning of their life in Christ, of again returning to their present evil world, of turning away from the holy doctrine which was delivered them, of losing a good conscience, of becoming devoid of grace, that must be uh, more particularly determined out of the Holy Scripture before we ourselves can teach it with the full persuasion of our mind. So what the remonstrance basically was saying is this. Man has the ability, even in this fallen state, to desire the things of God, to submit to the things of God, to understand the things of God. And they work in cooperation, what we call synergism, the two, two forces working together to accomplish their salvation. Okay? This was given to the church... Uh, the Reformed Church, and <clears throat> what happened was there was a response. Now, understand something. There is um, Martin Luther. You guys have heard me make mention. I, had, I didn't pull up the book or whatever, but Martin Luther's book, Bondage of the Will. Now, when he wrote this, he sent it to John Calvin to read. And remember, it was the Reformation that broke the back of the tyranny that Rome had over Europe. It was the true saving gospel that broke the back of the tyranny. Okay? And so when he sent his book to John Calvin, John Calvin's like, this is a book that's got hands and feet to it. It's, it's living here almost. I mean, that's, that's, it's powerful. And one of the things that Luther argued about the doctrine of justification by faith alone and the will of man in, in that, was he said, it is, quote, the main hinge on which religion turns. And he's talking about the true saving faith. This issue is the hinge on which everything else turns. If you miss this, you miss what's really going on. Okay? And like, a, you look, if you go out to a nice restaurant, I haven't been to a lot of, like, nice, I think I've been to maybe one that might be considered uppity and i don't even know that, that would be that but it was it was over in charlotte and 
maybe you eat a nice meal with your spouse <clears throat> and the chef comes out and he's walking around and he says, Hey, did you enjoy the meal? And this, that, and the other. And you say, yeah, it was great. I've never had anything like it. He said, well, let me tell you what I did. Now you're not going to sit there and be rude to that guy and say, I don't care about hearing how you made the meal. You're going to be polite and you're going to say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm interested in what, what did you do? And he tells you. Well, the same thing is true for us as believers. God does a work in us. And then he says, hey, did you enjoy that? Did you taste and see that I was good? Have I not blessed you the way I said I would bless you? And this, that, and the other. And you go, yeah. And he says, well, let me tell you how I did that. No, Lord, I'm not interested in how you did it. I know it was Jesus on the cross. No, no, no. Let me tell you all the ingredients that went here with it. You don't turn to God and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Quit telling me about how much you did. I know I believed in you and I turned from my sin, blah, blah, blah. Those people are ones who don't want to read Ephesians chapter 1. They don't want to read Romans chapter 9. They don't want to read John chapter 6. They don't want to read these things where we're told what God is doing behind the scenes to bring us to himself and to make us his people. We don't want to be that kind of, that kind of people. So <clears throat> the remonstrance came, and they brought uh, this before the church, and the church brought forth the Synod of Dort, or the council or the court. That's what a synod is. And they were to look at these men who gathered together, were to discuss the scriptures and see, okay, is what they're saying true? Is it not true? This is, by the way, this is going to fall to those who will proclaim once saved, always saved. And let me clarify, because I'm going to point you to where they're taking that from, but they leave everything else off. I believe that once God initiates the new birth in a person, they're saved. There is no plucking them out of his hand. There is no taking them away. They can't do it. You know, Jesus says, no man can take them out. And the free wheelers come in and they say, oh, but but you can take yourself out of his hand. Is that what he said? Do you fall into the category of no man? Yes, you do. Once God begins and, and initiates the work in your heart to give you the new birth, to grant you faith, to grant you repentance, to open your eyes, to give you life, to raise you to newness of life in Christ, once he does that, he will complete that work. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. And he's the writer of all the things in the middle of it too. I want to make sure that we're clear on that. However, what many people mean when they mean once saved, always saved is you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, you got baptized one time, and for thereafter, you're saved no matter how you conduct your life. That is not true. That is a lie. That is a lie. God is conforming his people to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. And if you're not on that trajectory of being conformed to the image of Christ, you might want to examine whether or not you came to know the Lord Jesus. Just saying. Just saying. And if you are one who is living in sin as a way of life, because John says that we can't do that. He says we can't, we can't conduct ourselves that way. We can't sin. And what he's talking about is an ongoing practice that our life has changed. All things have become new. If you're living that way, you might want to examine whether you're in the faith. Because you're probably not. Matter of fact, I can attest you're not. Okay? So I want to get that out of the way. So how did the church respond at this Synod of Dort? Well, you've got guys who had 
you know, both opinions here coming together and looking at the scriptures and, and going to these kinds of things. And what did they do? This was not an easy thing for those who were against the remonstrance. And again, Arminius didn't write those points. Those who learned under Arminius formulated them. Just like John Calvin didn't come up with the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. Those who were taught under him came up with it here as a response to the five points I just read. Okay? Just so we understand the history that's there as to what's going on. Now, <clears throat> they give an acrostic. And again, I'm doing history. If I, if I were to teach a class or something like that, um, I, I would just go through a book of the Bible. I, I don't really focus on a lot of this, but sometimes this is helpful so people kind of get an, a, an overview so that when we go through scriptures, you'll see what we're talking about, okay? But I, I always recommend, and I've had several pastors who've came to these conclusions, and they said, I want to teach these doctrines. Just teach the Bible. Te teach verse by verse through the Bible, and you're going to teach it to your people, and that's the best way. And then if you want to have a special class for people who want to, you know, get the, the overview of all this, then have that, you know, like a history class. That's that's fine. But but stick to the scripture because that way you're in a context, you're teaching the context, and you can't get away from the context. The context says what it says. And if you don't say what the context says, your audience is going to know it. They're going to go, um, uh, that that's not what that says. That's not what came before that, and that's not what comes after it. Okay? So they, they came up with uh, five points to respond, and many of you will be familiar with these. They come in a, 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 an acronym called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And for each point that they gave, each one of those letters were response um, to the, the remonstrance. Excuse me. They are total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, perseverance of the saints is what non-reformed people who don't hold the reformed doctrines uh, that broke the back of Rome, that is the saving gospel, they pull from that, and they don't claim perseverance of the saints. They claim once they'd always say, but they want to leave off the other parts that led to that perseverance of the saints. And that's why I re I, I when somebody asks me that, I say, let me clarify what what you what you mean by once saved, always saved, and let me clarify what I mean. Okay, so here's their response. In the total depravity of man, we are not saying that man is as bad as he can be. Clearly, that's not the case. We get a little insight into the depravity of man when certain murders take place. We get a little insight into that. We get a little insight into the depravity of man when we watch politicians come on and lie to our face. Okay? We, we get a little taste of that. But man is restrained. God does restrain us from being as wicked as we could be. And that comes through the fall. And so the total depravity, we have to ask ourselves, what did the fall affect in man? Did it just say, you're going to die? Did it affect him at his very core? We know it affected him physically to some extent because now he's going to die. He died spiritually on the day he partook of the fruit and he disobeyed God. But he would also find a day in which he died physically. He would die. 
But did it affect his will? Did it affect his mind? Did it affect his emotions? Yes, it affected him at his core. Let me ask you something. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they immediately run to God and cry out for forgiveness and repent? Not? Nope, they went, and hit, they went the opposite direction of God. And they hid, and they tried to cover themselves. They didn't ask God for a covering. They tried to cover themselves. And what is the picture that we see there? God went looking for them. He went to seek and save that which was lost. God did that, not Adam and Eve. And, and did, did Adam and Eve cry out for mercy? Nope. When they were asked about it, what happened? Adam, why'd you do this? Well, it's the woman that you gave me. He was blaming God and he was blaming the woman, but he wouldn't take any blame for himself. Well, woman, what is this? What you do? What was the snake? He was deceiving me. And there was nobody else to point to. So God cursed the snake. And then the curses of travail and sorrows in childbearing came upon the woman. She's going to desire to be a feminist and rule over her husband, but he's going to reign over her. And the man's now going to have to work the ground where, where forth it brought forth all kinds of fruit and vegetables and things for him before. Now he's going to have to work by the sweat of his brow. So all of this was done. And we see this in the book of Romans chapter 3, which cites a large portion of the Old Testament about how wicked men are. It talks about what comes out of their mouth, that they're, they're, they're a sepulcher, they're, they're a tomb of death. It's on their lips. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every man. And Paul would go on to reiterate that, that in Adam, all men died. In Christ, all men will live, right? They'll be, they'll be raised. So all of that is contained in depravity. In fact, we go to Ephesians chapter 2, and that's one of the things that Paul says. He says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? He goes on, and um, we're in complete rebellion against God. That's what we are. Even when we say we're not, even when we do, quote-unquote, good deeds on our own, what's the motivation for that? Was it the praise of men? Was it so we feel better about things? Was it so we can get something from somebody? I, whatever the intent are, it's tainted with sin. And this is why the Bible says that even our righteousness, our good deeds, are like a filthy garment. They're like a, I mean, the, the literal issue is they're like a used menstrual garment that a woman uses during her period. That's what our righteousness is like before God. And as a result of that, boy, we, we got to have a righteousness that surpasses that. And that comes outside of ourselves. That comes from Christ. Blessed is the man whom God does not impute his sin, but rather we are imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ the one who did no sin, the one who was just, who, who gave himself for the unjust that he might bring us to God. So that's an overview of total depravity. I can answer specific questions. You know, if you want to send them, I, that's fine. I can do that. But the, the point is, is this, that this was a response to the remonstrance. They did not believe that man was totally depraved. Unconditional election. You heard... The, from the remonstrance, this thing was, this is just for everybody. You know, it's for all men, this, that, and the other. Now, do we preach to all men? Yes, because we don't know who the elect are. God does, but we don't. 
I had a good friend. Um, you know, we had a discussion. And I remember I was asking all these questions, didn't didn't know any of the theology or but I was I was starting to to start to see it more clear. And I was just asking questions about this. The guy got mad at me one morning before we went to work, and he said, if I believe that, I'd get out of the ministry and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting here going, wow, wow. Because I can tell you, I've been through Dr. D. James Kennedy's, his evangelism explosion. I went through that when I was a kid. I went through the Southern Baptist version of that called Continued Witness Training, I think is what it was called, CWT. And there were, there were great little little teaching things to teach me, to give me kind of an outline to help me feel comfortable in sharing the truth of the gospel. Now, I could have done that without that, but it was a good tool to help me learn some scriptures, to learn the presentation of that gospel and such, and then eventually make it my own presentation using the scriptures. But one thing that always stuck with me was when we would go into houses or when we would talk with people, you felt like you were a salesman trying to close a deal. Like, I got to get this person to pray this sinner's prayer, and which is not found anywhere in Scripture, by the way. Someone leading somebody else in a sinner's prayer. That's just not found in Scripture. It's not there. Because when the person is convicted, when the Spirit of God comes upon them to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and judgment, they know what to pray. It might be the simple words of, have mercy on me, Lord. You know, like the guy who was in the temple with the Pharisee. It might be something like that. And that that cry comes from a heart that has been regenerated, by the way. They're no longer dead in their sin, and because they've been made alive, that's what they cry out. That's what they do. That is the response to the work of God. So the unconditional election, whereas the remonstrance said, oh, you know, this is just open to everybody. Anybody and everybody has the power to come in, and, and they can do all this stuff themselves because they're really not totally, total, they don't have total depravity. And so unconditional election is all throughout Scripture. I mean, it's all throughout it. Listen to the words of Jesus from John. I don't have all this pulled up, but listen to the words of Jesus from John chapter 6, where he says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Not might come to me. They might get along. Nope, they shall come to me because the Father gave them to me. And the one who comes to me, that's the one the Father gave me that shall come to me, I will in no wise cast out but raise him up at the last day. That's Jesus' promise. You're going to argue with Jesus about what he said? And I hear people make some of the most goofy interpretations of that, and the, the whole context of that is very clear. Very, very clear as to what he's saying. And it's not hard to understand. It's just we don't like the idea that somehow we're not in control of things, especially our own salvation. We don't like that we're not in control. We want to be in control. So Ephesians 1 is a good place to start. You'll see the work of God that he saves a people unto himself. You'll see Jesus' own words where he speaks to the disciples, and he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And we know he's already talked about the distinction between sheep and goats. He's talked about my sheep know me and they hear my voice and they won't follow another. 
So he's very possessive in that. He says, these are my sheep. I don't lay down my life for the goats. I lay it down for the sheep. We also go over into Romans chapter 8, where we read the golden chain of redemption. We've been over that on the show, Romans 8, 28 uh, through 30. And we see that there is a chain reaction that happens. And this is the work of God, where he calls, and the ones he calls, he justifies. The one he justifies, he glorifies. That's the work of God. It's not the work of man. It's the work of God. Go to John chapter 1, and you will see of what he's saying, that men who come to Christ, those who embrace him, it's not of their will. It's not of the blood. It's not their pedigree. It's not who their mom and daddy was. It's not any of that. It's the will of God. And God elects them. I'll give you just a couple of examples because we're running out of time here. So if you guys want to catch us on uh, from uh, Red State Talk Radio, we're going to be on on sonsoflibertymedia.com, top of the page there, before it's news.com or any of the other pages that we're on. I'm just getting that out so I don't have to rush it in in the end here. But it's based totally upon the grace of God. Again, maybe we'll do one on the solas. I've, I've been wanting to put that out there too that came out of the Reformation. It's based upon the grace of God. Sola gratia. Uh, grace alone. Okay. Believers were chosen... If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you were chosen before the foundation of the world by God. You were a promise, a gift from the Father to the Son before time began. That's that's pretty incredible. I'll give you a couple of examples. Isaac and Ishmael. Both were in the covenant that God had given. But only one of them was elect unto promise and the other wasn't. Isaac was the elect. Jacob and Esau, both of them were in the covenant. They both received the sign of the covenant, but only one of them was elect. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I've heard people try to twist all kinds of things of what that says, but it's pretty clear as to what God is saying. And God did that. He chose Jacob over Esau while they were in the womb, read Romans 9, before they had done good or evil, so that election might stand, so that God might be glorified and not Jacob and not Isaac, but God. We're going to continue this on. I'll try to make my way through it as quickly as I can, but I think these are things that, that people need to understand and see in history and in the Scriptures. Bradley be with you at 3. We'll be back in with you in the morning. Don't miss it. Famous football player, soccer player with us with Kate, 8 a.m. See you. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I wanted to bring that guy's name up. Um, Kate has mentioned him. So tomorrow is going to be the day where he joins us. And he's become a very outspoken uh, sports figure over there in England. The guy's name is Matt Letessier. Let me just show you. This is the guy right here. Um, so he's going to be on with us tomorrow uh, with Kate and I. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, this is the guy, you know, he. She left me a message saying a lot of these sports figures are unwilling to speak out. He's one who is not, and uh, he's using that platform to warn people about the shots and and uh, and all that's going on. All right, so this that's unconditional election. 
I mentioned John chapter 6. You can go over there. You can see it. Um, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. That word draw there, go and, go and do your due diligence. Get your Strong's Concordance. Get a Greek dictionary and look it up. It means to literally drag. It's used elsewhere when Peter drags the fish in the net onto the shore. He's literally saying, the Father will drag you to Christ. It is an effectual calling that uh, that God gives. Now, and again, I'm giving an overview. We could probably spend a whole show just kind of going through Scripture in the context, okay, in the context to prove the point. Third, limited atonement. Now, I can just hear some people going, well, wait a minute. Didn't it just say, for the God so loved the world? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And it also made distinction in that passage too, right? So let's go through that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right there is the distinction of who the death of Christ applies to. The ones who believe, the believing ones, they're the ones who are preserved from perishing. And he goes on to state as much when he talks about he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. They didn't want to come to the light because their deeds would be exposed. The world was already condemned. He came to bring some to life. He came to save some. And those some were the, the ones that the Father gave him. That's the ones for whom he gave his life. Could his death have taken care of every single individual in the world? It's got the power, I, I suppose, yeah. But the intent was not that. I like what Charles Spurgeon had to say. You know, he asked people, did Christ get what he paid for or did he not? If Christ died for every single individual who's ever lived, why were there people remaining in hell? Why are there people in hell today? Why is that? If Jesus is God playing double jeopardy, does he judge Jesus and then judge you for your unbelief? What's going on here? Jesus dies a substitution. This is a reform doctrine. Again, remember, these are doctrines that broke the back of the tyranny of the religious institution of the Vatican. And by the way, I titled the show today, Are You Setting Your Feet Towards Rome? I remember hearing R.C. Sproul before his death uh, teaching on some things. And when he came to the issue of the remonstrance uh, where these guys were, were doing this, he said the church was basically saying, look, he's there. They weren't saying, you're siding with the Romanists. You're becoming papists now. He said, no, you're setting your feet towards Rome because you're holding to doctrines that Rome holds to and you're not giving glory unto God. You're really glorifying man in the process. But he says, you're setting your feet towards Rome. You need to be careful of that. And so these, these points here, the, the Senate of Dort put out, the five points of Calvinism, if you want to, the, the doctrines of grace, were a correction using the scriptures to the remonstrance. It was an act of love towards them. It was to say, you need to get this right because this has more implications than just what you think about how God saves you. There is very practical implications for these guys. One of the most practical things is, is to know God is true. I played the song this morning 
uh, Steele, uh, my friend Jimmy Ray. I haven't seen him in a while, um, but uh, he's a musician. And uh, the, the idea that we need to understand he is God, we're not. He is in control, we're not. And if God throughout history, if before history even began, before time began, he promised to give a people to his son, and we are the, among those people, then it should give us great confidence that if he can look down through history and he can say, I'm doing this with this guy, I'm doing this with Tim, I'm doing this with, with Mike, I'm doing this with uh, Jeff, or whoever, whoever he's talking, uh, uh, whoever he has promised to his son, that should give us great confidence that our God truly is in control, even in the midst of the Yahoo-ness that we're facing in our country right now. That he is in control of that. That doesn't mean that we just sit back. That's not what any of this means. I've had people say, oh, tell me you believe those things and get out of the ministry or, you know, I wouldn't preach the gospel. Well, wait a minute. The scripture says that he uses means to accomplish his purposes. How can they how can they have faith? How can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear if they don't have a preacher? Hearing faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God uses means in all of this. So there is no excuse to this is what has been termed hyper-Calvinism, where they they don't think they have to do anything after being regenerate, after God has given them the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's that's foreign to Scripture. No, no, no. God uses means to accomplish his purposes. So the limited atonement is directed specifically at the work of Christ was for a particular people, his people, the ones God the Father gave him in eternity past, and that he is he was drawing to himself then, and he continues to draw to himself now. If you're listening to my voice, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if your life has really been changed, if you've really repented and you really have faith in Christ, guess who you have to thank for that? You have God to thank for that because you certainly didn't muster it up yourself. Praise God for that. Because left to ourselves, we would all run from him just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We would run from him. We would make excuses. We would point fingers at everybody else but us. And we would never want to look ourselves in the mirror because we would always want to see ourselves as something better than who we are. And yet, here's the work of the cross. The work of the cross. Acts 13, 48. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Remember, Paul goes in and he preaches to the people there. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, I got to tell you, I used to listen to um, Dave Hunt. There were things I liked about Dave Hunt. And there were things I didn't. Um, his attack on these doctrines was, it was so much ignorance, I couldn't believe it. I, I just, I, like, wow. And he was corrected over and over and over, and he would mischaracterize people. James White was one of them. They did a book together. You want to talk about, don't even buy it. It's it's a headache to read. I don't, I don't know what it was called. Debating Calvinism or something like that. Don't even buy it. it it's just a headache to read. It really is. Uh, but in any case... I remember him dealing with that text out of Acts 13, 48, and he said, oh, it doesn't really, they're predisposed to eternal life. That's not what that means. That is not what that means at all. Paul went in there not knowing 
who would come to eternal life, and he preached the gospel. And you know what? The ones who were ordained to eternal life came to life, and they believed. Yep, that's exactly right. We go back to the remonstrance. One of the passages that they brought up concerning this uh, was um, the issue of being the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also the sins of the world, John 2, 2. And many would understand that what John is doing is he's saying, this isn't just for us Jews here, okay? This is for Gentiles. This is outside of us. And we see that echoed in the book of Revelation when we see those people praising God around the throne. One of the things that they say is, you have saved us out of every people, tongue, nation, right? You've saved all sorts of people. You've saved rich, you've saved poor, you've saved free, you've saved bond, you've saved male and female, and you've saved them out of all the nations of the world. And he's still saving them out of the nations of the world. And that's God's purpose. And that is God's choice in doing that. He is the one who is free to do that. Men are not free to do it because men are enslaved in their sin. Their sin enslaves them. Jesus said, to whom you submit yourselves, you are the servants of. You submit yourself to sin. Guess what? You're the slave of sin. You're not free. You're not free. The fourth point that they addressed against the remonstrance was labeled irresistible grace. Oh, Tim, are you telling me that God violates my free will? Let's think of it this way. Before coming to Christ, your free will, and I know what a lot of people mean by that. What they actually mean is, are you telling me that I don't make choices? Nope, never said that. But here's the reality about your free will. Your free will or your will is free to do what you have the capacity to do or the ability to do. And here's the thing. You in and of yourself with your free will, you're confined to sin. You don't have the ability to come to Christ. You can't even comprehend and submit to the things of God. Paul writes that out in Corinthians where he talks about the carnal man cannot even know them. They, he can't submit to them. He can't understand the things of God. Oh, you might can regurgitate certain phrases back and you even get a concept in your head, but you can't submit yourself to it. Only the Spirit of God can cause you to do that. And so we go back to John chapter 6 again. Now, by the way, this was the passage. John chapter 6 was the passage as a new believer. I was told, read the Gospel of John. All my friends were Southern Baptist pastors. And for a large number of them, they don't believe any of this. They reject it. Actually, they reject a straw man of it. They don't reject the, the truth of it. They reject the straw man of it. But I used to ask all these questions. What is he saying here? He's saying that all the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. He, there's a chain there. It's not broken. It's not the Father will call me, and maybe you'll come to Christ. Maybe you won't. And if you come to Christ, maybe he'll keep you for a while. Maybe he'll toss you out. And that's not what's going on. This is an effectual grace. It has the effect for which it goes out. And you guys remember the passage of Scripture that says God's word does not go out and return to him void. It goes out to accomplish the purpose for which he sent it out for. Uh-huh. Sometimes he sends out his word to harden the hearts of people. Pharaoh is a good example. 
God had no intention of softening Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh was not given by the Father to the Son. Just let that sink in for a second. Pharaoh was not given to the Son by the Father. He was raised up. Go to Romans chapter 9. He was raised up to show God's wrath. God was demonstrating he's glorifying himself through the ungodly too, by the way, just so you know. But he was different towards Moses, wasn't he? God set his love upon Moses because Moses was given to the Son by the Father in eternity past, before the world was made. That was the promise of the Father to the Son. And God was going to accomplish it, by the way. <laughs> so we come down, Romans 8, 28, again through 30, that chain that's there. It's very clear in the context of what's going on there. And then finally, perseverance of the saints. And we're, we're going to touch on some things here because this gets to this once saved, always saved stuff and where it's robbed from all of the things that came before. The theology, the, the foundation that was laid in order that you might understand the perseverance of the saints. And that in, in totality, you might understand the work of God in your own life. Okay? Among these, we hear things like, John chapter 10, verses 28-29. Jesus taught, No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And he's talking about his sheep. He's not talking about goats. Not talking about sheep from another person over here. He's talking about his sheep. They can't be snatched out of the Father's hand. No man can do it. And yet, I, you can read that passage and you get people go, but you can take yourself out of his hand. Do you fall into all men? Do you, do you fall into these no one is able? No one? Do you fall into that category? Yes. But they want that control. Oh my goodness, they want to be God. They don't they won't tell you that, but that's what the, that's what they're implying. They want to be God. I can I can make my own destiny. If I want to leave God, I'll leave God. Well, if you want to if you have that desire, you never knew him in the first place and he doesn't know you. It's pretty simple. You don't lose salvation, you never had it. I dealt with this when I was in um a um a Free Will Baptist junior high school. Uh, and even as a unbeliever, I always thought some of the things they said were just like, I, you know, even at the time I could read and I wasn't very good at a lot of stuff, but I could figure out you guys are really off base here. The book of Hebrews is one of these passages. Now, understand Hebrews is written to Hebrews. <laughs> okay. It is written to those who are in the New Testament covenant. They're in the, they're in the New Testament congregation. And all through Hebrews, what is the point of the writer of Hebrews? It is to show the superiority of Christ over everything that has come before. Everything. The priesthood, the temple, the utensils in the temple, the sacrifices, the, the patriarchs, the prophets. All those things that were types and shadows of the Christ... Christ is superior to all of them. And what is happening is you have these 
these people who've come to the church and they're being tempted to go back to that old covenant system, which he says it's about to pass away so that the new will be established. And he warns them. There's at least four warnings. I'm going to give you a couple of them here this morning. There's at least four warnings about the apostasy that would lead them back into that old covenant. Okay? And we're going to touch on these just a little bit. If you read the entire argument of the book of Hebrews, that's what he's arguing. And he's warning them, don't go back there because, as we'll see over here in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, if you go back there, there's no sacrifice for sin. By the way, the Bible tells us that God, uh, when remember when um, David is praying, um, one of the things he says is, you know, if you desired sacrifice, I'd offer him. But that's not what you're. That's not what you're after. You're not after sacrifices. You know, animals, go goats, and and bulls. I mean, even the writer of Hebrews says that. The blood of bulls and goats don't take away sin. So if you're going to go back to bulls and goats and temple sacrifices, which is blows my mind, the dispensational crowd today here in America wanting to see another temple raised up, wanting to see all the sacrifices and all that stuff, and you're just like, that is an abomination. That is the synagogue of Satan spoken of in the Scripture. That is not something godly. That is not something we should be looking forward to. That is not something we should be helping them to achieve. We should be turning them from that. Those things do not remove sin. Only the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. First John. Only the blood of Christ. So if you go, if you're in the New Covenant community and you're a Hebrew and your mom and dad's putting a lot of pressure on you and your family's putting pressure on you or you can't get a job or you can't open a business or whatever because now you're identifying with Christ and you say, it's better if I go back over here and I just go back to this stuff and live this way. You have no sacrifice for sin. And I can apply that to a lot of different things. If you want to go to Rome, guess what? There is no sacrifice for sin. They are constantly re-sacrificing Christ, or that's what they think they're doing, in the Mass. They're constantly redoing that. How many times did Christ lay down his life? The book of Hebrews, he says he died once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to Christ. And when he was done, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know what was not in the temple? Seats. Seats, it's, the mercy seat was there where God would come in, but for the priest, no seat. Why? Their work was never done. Never, ever, never, ever, never, never done. Jesus did it one time and sat down. It was complete. It was finished. It was done. And by the way, for people who want to say, well, all religions are the same, you tell me one where, where, where the God of that religion humbled himself, became a man, lived a perfect life under the law, and then gave up his life for his people in order that he might redeem them back unto God. Tell me one of them. Not one of them do it. Not one of them do it. Not one of them where grace is bestowed upon the people because of one who died in their place for their lawlessness, for their breaking of the law. Not one of them. But here we are. We have Hebrews chapter 6, and this was one that came up constantly uh, and I just, I would shake my head. And then there's a, the passage in Second Peter 2, which is talking about false teachers. 
And they tried to use that. Now, I didn't know it was talking about that at the time, but he, I, I was even, it was just a little weird to me how they were coming across with these things because to me, they were exalting man. Then that's exactly what they're doing. I want to exalt the God who saved me because I know what I was as a man. I know even now what I am as a man. And the things that God requires of me, I could never produce those fruits in myself. I, I just, I couldn't. Maybe on the outside, I can put on a smiley face and try to do some things, but I couldn't produce them. Here's what Hebrews chapter 6 says. And remember, Hebrews is an argument of the superiority of Christ over all the Old Covenant things, all the things in the Old Testament. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will do if God permit. So he's saying, you know, these things are like basic stuff. Let's not stay stuck on this. Let's move on. That's what he's saying, the writer here. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Stop and think about that for just a second. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened. It doesn't say made regenerate. It doesn't say any of that kind of stuff. It says they were enlightened. They got the truth given to them. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. They have seen the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the people. This is what Paul's talking about in Corinthians when he talks about, you know, he says, you guys need to take care of what you're doing over there. You're doing a lot of selfish things. Yeah, you got some spiritual gifts, but you're doing selfish things. And people come in and they're not edified. They look at you like you're crazy. But in this, in this instance, he's saying, you've seen the work of God. You've seen the healings. You've seen, um, you, you've heard the tongues. You've seen the miracles. You've, you've heard the word of God. You've seen lives transformed but their life remains untransformed. It's happening all around them, but they don't have it. They've heard the good word of God. They've, they've experienced the powers of the world to come, but they don't have it. And he says, instead of persevering, they fall away. And when they fall away, they're apostatizing. That's what we call that. They're falling away. And he says, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It's not that they had salvation and they lost it. It's that they didn't have it. They came in, John says, uh, they came in and they went out, and John says they, they, they went out from among us because they were not of us. They were not of us. Not that they were of us and then they weren't, they just weren't of us in the first place. They may have had some kind of attraction to what was going on. They might have been like Simon in the book of Acts. You remember the magician who was there? The deceiver. And he went and got baptized, right? Baptized just get you wet if you don't have the Spirit of God. And what happens to him? Well, he wants the Holy Spirit, but he wants it for gain, doesn't he? He wants it to continue to deceive the people and get his own gain from it. And Peter says, your money and and, and your money perish with you. That's what Peter told him. And instead of Simon repenting himself and crying out for forgiveness from God, he says, will you pray for me? 
Hello? You pray. You cry out for mercy if you're really convicted, but he didn't do that. Nope. Peter pronounced a curse on him. Again, throughout Hebrews, there's there's several of these these things here. Um, we come to Hebrews 10, for instance, and it's a long it's a it's a long chapter. I'll, I'll try to give you some of the parts here as we go down, just so you get the context of what's going on. But he begins here in verse one. And he says, "For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect." Of course not, because they. They're types and shadows. They're not reality. They're, they're not the reality. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. For it is, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now, for those people who think that... This issue, um, it, it is, uh, boy, I lost my train of thought there for a second. For those who think that the Old Testament, they were saved by works and the sacrifice, does this, is this not clear? It is not possible the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. No, men in the Old Testament were saved by works. They weren't saved by the sacrifices or any of that. They were saved the same way that people are in the New Testament. This is why Jesus, when he confronted Nicodemus, he said, you got to be born again. You're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. Well, where was he supposed to learn it? In the Old Testament. <laughs> this is really simple. It's not hard. It really isn't. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Wasn't, you know, in fact, God would tell the people at one point uh, in their history, he would say, there is stench in my nostrils, your sacrifices are. They stink. Where once they were a sweet-smelling savor and, and the incense that was burned was a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. Now they stink because there's no faith. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither past, uh, hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. And he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. This is where they're doing over the old covenant. They're establishing the new, and he's talking about Christ doing this. By the which will we be we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, this is what I was talking about earlier, standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, who's the man? Jesus Christ. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. What does that mean? What does that term sanctified mean? You're set apart. It's kind of like the word holy. You're, 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 you're set apart. Holiness, you're set apart for the work of God. Now you're set apart because of the work of Christ. 
Word of the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of this these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness of the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Amen. Exactly. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more that, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, what has he just been talking about? He's been talking about this old system. And he's just told you, none of that stuff takes away sin. None of it does. It was a picture of the one who would take away sin. And I believe that the sin he's talking about here is the same one he's warned about. And Hebrews 6 was just one example. There's a couple others uh, in the book of Hebrews where he warns it. He's warning of this. You are in the midst of the covenant community of God. You're seeing the power of God. You're hearing the word of God. You're seeing the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to go back to that old system, you are doing so willfully with knowledge and with malice, as we read about earlier in the passage. You're doing so, and there ain't no sacrifice for sin back there. You're leaving the only sacrifice for sin in existence, and that is the blood and the death of the Son of God. That's what you're going back to. And if you go back there, there ain't no sacrifice for sin there. In fact, he goes on and he says this, but you have a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. You thought him, well, let me just go ahead and read it because he's going to say that, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath despised and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. These people look at the sacrifice of Christ and say, no, I've seen all the power. I've seen, I've heard the word. I've tasted the gift. I've been around the people of God. I'm going to go back to this other thing because that's what I'm comfortable with. That's what I'm familiar with. We're, we're creatures of habit like that. That's what the natural man would do. But it isn't the application just that, while the, the, I think it's directed at the Hebrews who were tempted to go do that, and he's saying don't do that because there's nothing to go back to. The application applies here too. If you want to leave the Christ to go to Rome, there ain't no sacrifice for sin in Rome. If you want to leave it to go to Judaism, there ain't no sacrifice for sin in Judaism. If you want to leave uh, the Christ to go to Islam, there's no sacrifice for sin in Islam. It ain't found in Buddhism. 
It's not found in Shintoism or any of the other religions of the world. The only sacrifice for sin is in the Christ. And if you abandon him, you're trampling. You might as well just, you're just trampling. I'm doing a little stepping here. You're just trampling over his body and his blood, which was given for his people, his sheep. And you think nothing of it. If you're on the verge of doing that, let me caution you as the writer of Hebrews does. You better be careful. Because once you make that step in that direction, it will be impossible for you to come back. It'll be impossible for you. Because you're counting the blood of Christ an unclean, an unholy thing. A common thing. This is, this is pretty serious stuff. And so when he warns about this, again, this goes to perseverance of the saints. This last point that we have. Jesus spoke about that. The one who perseveres to the end shall be saved. I don't care how bad things get. We cannot give in to the flesh and abandon the Christ and still say we are his. We have to endure. We have to persevere. And do you know how I can say that we have to do that? It's because the Spirit of God who is living in us. You know, Paul said, I'm dead. It's no longer I live. It's Christ who lives in me. So those who persevere, it's not because they're some great people. Somehow they figured it all out or whatever. Doesn't even mean that they have to have, you know, thank God he doesn't save us according to all of our theological points. But he saves us according to his mercy. But it's because of the Spirit of God. See, all of this, all of salvation is to glorify God. It's not to glorify you. It isn't to give you a, you know, your best life yet or any of this stuff, even though I do believe we get abundant life in Christ. Don't get me wrong. I, I do. But sometimes that comes in a different form than the way the world looks at it. It may not come in a, uh, a multi-million dollar house like Joel Osteen has with a $10 million smile or whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's going to come through persecution. And we come to know the Christ by sharing in his sufferings. That's what Paul says. We make up that in, 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 our, in the sufferings in our body. The fellowship, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. How many believers want to know that? Hmm? Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes hardship. But we can grow to love God and to love Christ in the midst of those things, can't we? Yep, he teaches us those kinds of things when we deny ourselves. When we deny ourselves. And we take up the cross and we follow him. So what happened at the end of this Synod of Dort? At the end of the Synod of Dort, what they came to the conclusion was, and listen, these were many of these Armenians were their friends, their brothers, aunts, uncle, or uncles, dads, all this kind of stuff. They came to the conclusion that they were teaching heresies and they separated themselves from them. Now, I'm sure they probably tried to call some of these guys to be corrected, okay? But they had to separate themselves from them. 
because they had another gospel. Tim, that didn't sound like another gospel. That's because maybe you don't know the true gospel. The true gospel is about God the Father and God the Son having a compact, a covenant between themselves by which the Son would go and give His life on behalf of His people. The Father would draw them to the Son. He would give them of His Spirit. He would separate them unto Himself. He would glorify Him through Himself. And throughout all eternity, those people would be trophies of His grace on display for all to see for all eternity. Again, we're beneficiaries of the work of Christ, no doubt about that. But all of the work of Christ, though it's on us, is for the glory of God. It's all about God. It's about glorifying Him. I hope that you're seeking to do that today. I really do. And uh, if you're on the verge of leaving the Christ and running after the promises of men and the institutions of men and things, that you'll think hard before you do so. Because once you take that step, there ain't no sacrifice for sin anywhere else but in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And uh, if you're at that step place, I pray that you repent. And that God give you what is truly the new birth. And you know Him. You come to experience Him and you glorify Him wherever you are in whatever you do. Bradley be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central today. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, with Kate Shimrani and Matt Letezier. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. We'll make sure we have that right when we bring him on. 8 a.m. We'll talk to you in the morning. Lord willing, see you.